Hello and welcome to Muppet Sational, the Muppet Show podcast, hosted by three huge Muppet fans. Join us each week as we dive into an episode of Jim Henson's classic variety show, now finally available on Disney+. This week it's season one, episode 13, and it's nice to see him to see him nice, Bruce Forsyth! It's time to get things started on the chronological, explorational, conversational, Muppetsational! Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Muppetsational. I'm Lewis Chandler. I'm Jade Turner. And I'm Emma Chandler. And what a joy it is to talk about a lovely episode of television. Don't wish to show my hand too easily. We're not playing The Price is Right. (laughs) No. That wasn't even intentional. It literally... Improv. It just... It came to the front of the head. It came into the microphone. And now it's in your ears. Magic. Podcast magic. Magic. (laughs) Or something. (laughs) Anyway, to get back to some form of sense, Jade, why don't you give us some production information for this episode? Of course. So... This episode was originally broadcast on the 30th of January, 1977. So we're skipping quite far into the future compared to the little run of episodes we've had recently. And as I'm sure you've all worked out, the production code lists it as the 13th episode made and therefore Disney Plus have included it as episode 13. Once again, it was written by Jack Burns, Mark London, Jim Henson and Jerry Jewell and directed by Peter Harris. And... Well, the majority of our listeners are from the UK, so most of our listeners are going to know who Brucey is. But Emma, have you got some little tidbits for us about Bruce Forsyth? I have, Jade. So Bruce Forsyth was a TV personality, actor, dancer, variety performer, and basically his career spanned over 70 plus years. Wow. He started off when he was a child and he was known as Bruce the Boy Atom. Mm. And he basically kind of started off in Variety and Vaudeville. And then he ended up hosting Sunday Night at the London Palladium, which kind of really, his career then kind of like took off after he hosted that show. And then, yeah, a bit like Lewis said, he was known as Mr. Saturday Night. He did Generation Game, Price is Right, Strictly Come Dancing. He was in Bedknobs and Broomsticks. He was. He was knighted. So, yeah, he's had a pretty illustrious career. He is such an icon and such a British institution. And it was such a joy to see him get to interact with the Muppets. It was so much fun. It was amazing. And it makes me wonder whether there are other guests that we've had that maybe we haven't known, but are maybe more iconic in America. And maybe people feel that way about their episodes that Mm. we again not to show our hands too early but I think me and Lewis are on the same page here like this was just a delight from start to finish and I do think Brucey did bring something quite different to the show than what we've seen before um and obviously we're going to talk about that but yeah he's he is such an icon and Kermit's introduction really did set it up perfectly didn't it you know he said he's one of England's truly great performers and then described him as a one-man variety show. And that is Bruce Forsyth. He's a one-man variety show. You could stick him on a stage and you'd be entertained for hours just doing his shtick. Yeah. It's great. He's a showman. It's genuinely like the dream career. What he has done, I look at it and I go, he got to present, he got to sing, he got to dance, he got to turn up in classic Disney movie of a, you know, 1970s. 
and just continued working and I know he got a lot of criticism like you know near the end of his tenure on Strictly Come Dancing for being maybe uh, a bit too old and maybe not quick enough for live television but I kind of disagree and his mind and his ability to just always be on is just such a skill and something you only develop from doing those like years and years he did in musical and at the Palladium. And, you know, they build that into this episode when he helps Fozzie this week with his skills that he honed as a performer. Oh, I think we should just jump straight into it because I think there's so much to talk about. Um <laughs> After, obviously, the introduction and the titles, we had our first musical act, The Snurfs, which were magical. They were so cool. And they were dancing to the song In a Little Spanish Town, which wasn't particularly a tune that I recognised. I don't know about either of you. No. I was sort of enchanted as soon as they came on screen. That's exactly you know, we had the, the word, enchanted. Yeah. yeah. We had the blackout, and then we obviously had their really, really bright neon colours, but I loved that they were sort of these tubey concertinering. I don't even know what else to sort of <laughs> how else to describe their bodies. But their little feet slash hands and their horn noses and the way that I mean, obviously to start with, the one came out and was was bouncing up and down and doing his thing. But then when that second one came out and was the smaller one and their interactions together were really really cute and I thought it was really well choreographed and timed to the music. Absolutely. The way the sketch escalated, just gradually Mm. you have the little one come on and then the bigger one gets a bit disgruntled and hops off and then two more come back on with him. I let out a, like, of delight as more of them just (laughs) appeared and manifested. It's deceptively simple, I think, because it's so Mm. entertaining to watch and it goes along so well that when you actually think about the logistics of getting those four, six, however many puppeteers they were doing. So obviously they were sort of repeating the screen when they got near the end. Yeah. But to choreograph all that and know, right, am I going up on this one? Am I jumping over on this one? Do I scoot across on this one? I dread to think how long that took to rehearse because it's something that seems so easy and natural when you're watching it. But that's always a sign of something that's been so immaculately performed and planned and rehearsed beforehand completely yeah absolutely um i thought it was really good and actually it reminded me of you know that little pixar short um birds on a wire mm. <gasps> oh. you know when you've got like the little birds and the big birds and they all but i of... think it's called for the birds oh sorry Emma. the birds yeah we we, we defer to our, <laughs> our our podcast host who actually works in cinema <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's called For the Birds, yeah. Oh, okay, For the Birds. Sorry, yeah, it reminded me of For the Birds. Jade, are you drinking wine? I am drinking wine, yeah. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt, Emma. God, <laughs> I don't think I've actually recorded an episode of this podcast with a glass of wine after we did our two practice episodes where I got too tipsy. <laughs> <laughs> this this is the first one I've recorded with wine. We had a bottle in the fridge that was open and Rich was a bit worried about it. So he was like, do you want a glass of wine for your podcast? I was like, why not? I'll talk about Bruce Forsyth oh. and have a glass of wine. That sounds marvellous. <laughs> I love it, I love it. Sophisticated. Sorry, Sorry Emma. Emma. Digression. Back to For the Birds. <laughs> now I'm looking at the fridge wondering if I want wine. I don't even know if we have any. I could make a martini. No, that'll take too much time. 
Oh my goodness. Yeah, no, sorry. I was just saying it was just like you said, Jade, it was so sweet. And they were like little fluff balls and they were stretching and then there was like two of them and then they were all dancing and jumping and it was so cute. It was just a really nice opener because, you know, we have had quite a mixed bag of openers over Mm, the last few episodes. Mm. I thought this is good. This sets a good tone for the episode. My hopes are high and I just thought it was a really nice way to kind of like introduce it it was quite simple but just like effective Mm. and fun and really lovely Mm. as we got into it i also felt like the opener actually had something to had something to say had something in common with the language of the episode as a whole i mean obviously in particular you know we'll get to it but bruce's first number with the bird and with other blackout lighting and everything but just in general it wasn't too zany. It wasn't completely anarchic and chaotic. It was featuring cute little Muppets, which was basically what we had throughout the whole episode. You know, it was all just very in keeping tonally. As you said, it set it off on a right foot, but actually it's also set it off on the foot that, or the footing that we were going to be on for the rest of the episode. Mm, absolutely. We've complained before when we get an episode that's heavy on one-off or random Muppets that we don't see again or we just don't recognize i never had that problem during Mm -hmm. the entirety of this episode because how they were utilized was so charming and so well done that i didn't mind that we weren't perhaps getting as many familiar muppets as we usually would because the puppetry and the sketches that they featured in were just so good completely the little snurfs they also reminded me of emma i think you mentioned them a few weeks ago i can't remember in what context the little horned the actual sentient horn creatures from Alice in Wonderland when Alice is in the forest, the Disney version, where they just sort of waddle along and they're just a little circle with a horn yes, and two eyes. You're and I was right, like, Lewis. Oh, it's them. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I but do. I was like, oh it's oh it's them. You're well, right. it's not. But it is. You're right. I um I did find out a fun fact about the Snurfs, which was when um so they the puppet design obviously they were they were developed over the years, but the basic puppet design of of a Snurf dates back really quite early um in Jim Henson's career. And actually, when mm. Henson was first approached about making toys of the Muppets, it was Kermit, Rolf, and the Snurf which were the three that were first proposed, but they never made, well, according to Muppet Uh, Wikipedia anyway, they never put the snurf into production. hmm. I don't know. I just thought it was really interesting that obviously Kermit and Rolf are so iconic and maybe a snurf would be more iconic if they'd have put a toy snurf into production. Oh, absolutely. You get that thing into a child's hands and that thing becomes iconic. It's magic. (laughs) (laughs) That's how Disney makes its (laughs) millions and millions of dollars. (laughs) Merchandise. Can somebody explain to me the bitter duck? I wondered that. I want is that is that like is that a dish? <laughs> or is it did he bite a duck or was it meant to be like a oh. excuse my language a bitter fuck? Like as in well, yeah, because I was wondering that obviously later on the in the talk spot yes. there was a pun yeah. about leasing a duck. Yeah. And I was like, is that a dirty pun? See, that I thought that was quite innuendo. Yeah. Oh, I can't on, say yeah. it now. It's happening already. <laughs> innuendo led um, mm. talk spot. So I wonder if that is true, Jay. I wonder if the whole duck thing is a bit of a, you know. Cheeky nod and wink. Meaning. Okay. Well, I'm glad if there is another element to it that none of us got it. And it wasn't just me going, <laughs> what? <laughs> so that's fine. If all three of us were clueless, then I'm fine with it. <laughs> <laughs> The only thing I wondered about the bitter duck comment was like, 
and again, not to be, I don't know, but like obviously like Duck a la Orange was quite big in the 70s. <laughs> and, like, and, and, and I was like, is it some sort of comment on like, I don't know, 70s cuisine. cuisine that we don't know anymore? Yeah, but then they should have mentioned a prawn cocktail, Jade, and a Black oh Forest Gatto. Okay, but Peter and I had Duck a la Orange last weekend, so... <laughs> Oh, Lewis. <laughs> we had a duck in the freezer we needed to use. So. That sounds so middle class. <laughs> it's because Peter's dad sent it to us. He he lives on a farm. And look, they have poultry. So if you want to know, make it really middle class. When Peter got it out of the freezer, he's like, I'm not sure if this is a duck or a guinea fowl. So... <laughs> And then was he like, oh no, there's no shot. It's definitely a duck. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't. He just, like, we just, well, we, we just, just guessed. It. We just ate it and it was very nice. <laughs> no, that was the only thing I wondered about the bitter duck comment, but maybe it was meant to be like bit of duck. Like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it was still entertaining enough. The puppet didn't really look like a duck, to be fair. It looked more like a goose. Yeah, it was, it was a rather yeah. large puppet of yeah. a duck for a duck, wasn't it? sort of oversized now as this runner started i don't know about you two but i wasn't hugely keen on it it was another week where we've got fozzy being a bit of a sad sack yeah completely i was the same the as everyone knows because lewis brought it up the other week (laughs) i watched the episodes twice and the first time i watched it i was exactly the same lewis i was like oh for god's sake we're going back to fozzy being a loser moping around backstage but then obviously you get the amazing payoff with him going on stage with Bruce Forsyth and mm. taking down Statler and Waldorf. And so the second time I watched it through, I could really appreciate that it was all building towards that. And actually, I think this is, we've spoken about it a little bit already, but this idea that, you know, the the backstage business is becoming more entangled with the, with the onstage business and that also the relationship between the host and and the Muppets is sort of changing and becoming a bit more dynamic. So it's not just relegated to the talk spot or to the dressing room or whatever. And actually, like, I did enjoy it. I mean, I could have maybe done with a few less bits of Fozzie being a sad sack around the back. Because I think that's been well established at this point. I don't think anyone's shocked at that. But at the same time, I, I think it does build. And he has an arc and he has, a, he has character development off of it. And actually, it's really, really, like... It's nice to see. And again, we're getting closer to Fozzy as Fozzy. So I can't say I hated the runner because the payoff was was absolutely worth it at the end. <laughs> and also just to go back to the duck a second, I thought it was actually pretty clever that the duck said the punchline quack at the beginning. And oh, then we had that payoff in Veterinarian's Hospital layers. as well. So you can, it's it feels like a development of writing that they had the foresight to sort of be like, oh, we're actually going to tell you what this punchline is. And then we're going to still hope that you laugh when you hear it at the end of the episode. That felt like it certainly got more nuance than Absolutely. just like ba-boom, ch- kind of thing. Yeah, it's like, the prestige. It's yeah. the showing their hand before they do the trick. <laughs> <laughs> I never actually saw that movie. Emma, what did you make of the backstage business this week? Yeah, I kind of agree with both of you, to be honest, because when the first one sort of started, I just thought, oh no, Mm. why has Fozzie gone back? Mm. But then, like you said, Jade, I watched it again, and then you realise how much it sets it up for the whole episode and the payoffs, and also how he actually does develop over it. 
So I, I did enjoy it, actually. I kind of, first off, I didn't, I was a bit like, oh, no, here we go. But then as it built up and we kept coming back to the runner and the backstage, I just thought it was a really good bit of development for Fozzie. And also, it like you say, when we get to the bit with Fozzie and Bruce, it was just so nice to actually see him hit and be fuzzy again it was like a really nice ending for the runner for the the show i agree so, yeah i thought it was a especially compared to some of them that we've seen which have been awful where it's either just been a pun or it's been a really unfunny gag that's just been going the whole mm. time and we're just like oh no so yeah no i thought it was a strong one and it kind of like it matched the on stage song and sketches where sometimes you know either one can be weak and it drags down the episode, whereas I thought it actually, they both were pretty on par this week. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I don't want any more sad sack fuzzy. I hope this might be us closing the chapter or at least reducing it. So it's more just a bit sort of like, oh, fuzzy instead of like, oh, God. <laughs> it's, it's, it genuinely feels like fuzzy might be living in a box outside the Muppet <laughs> Theatre stage door at certain points during this. Like, it's like death of a salesman sometimes <laughs> truly quite Aww. quite unrelenting uh so yes hopefully he's got a bit more pep in his step thanks to bruce forsyth speaking of pep in the step <laughs> we might as well move on i don't know where these uh segues are coming from just <laughs> <laughs> just just pure instinct lewis pure instinct <laughs> We should talk about Bruce's first number. What was the name of the song? It's All I Need Is The Girl. It's a song time. It's from Gypsy. I have seen Gypsy and I do not remember that song. <laughs> to be fair, when you go and see Gypsy, you're you're waiting for, you know, the big ones. So everything's coming yeah. up. Roses and Let Me Entertain <laughs> yeah. You or You Gotta Have a Gimmick. I can't say that people go to Gypsy and say... See, I've forgotten the name of the song. <laughs> all I need is the girl. All I need is the girl. Like, <laughs> nobody's saying, God, can you remember all I need is a girl? They're going, no, wow, like Imelda Staunton, <laughs> like Patti LaPone. <laughs> For God's sake. Look, not every Sondheim song is a banger, okay? Like, some of the- <laughs> oh, I thought this was perfectly sweet, though. Like, Oh, it no, was- it's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know what you mean. It's not It's not top tier Sondheim. <laughs> In terms of like one of the ones you think of immediately when someone says, oh, son time. You're not like, oh, yeah, all I need is the girl. My favourite. <laughs> uh, when it comes to song and dance, men, it's pretty hard to top our special guest. So let's give a warm Muppet Show welcome to Mr. Bruce Forsyth. Got my tweed press. Got my best vest All I need now is the girl Got my striped tie Got my hopes high Got the time and the place And I got rhythm All I need's the girl to go with them If she'll just appear We'll take this big bird I must have taken those pills. It'll go away in a minute. <laughs> Whatever it is, it's a real one. <laughs> I hope it's not a female. I loved this. I thought it was 
I thought it was amazing. I think it's the first time we've really seen where the host has had a number and then also kind of broken out of it and spoken to camera, but then also kind of carried on in a comedic fashion with the Muppets. Mm. I mean, he was annoyed at the Muppets, but like, I don't know, there was so much interplay and there was so much going on in it. I just loved it. And I also just love that it's called Gorky Bird, the big tall bird Mm. Muppet. And yeah, and I just thought she was beautiful. I want a gawky bird. Maybe not an 11 foot tall one, but I'll have a little mini one. I wrote exactly the same. I put, what a beautiful puppet. And there was two of them. Oh, Emma, what did you think? I thought it was really, really good. I think like you said, Jade, it was a lovely mix of interaction with the gawky bird. Like Bruce was doing his bit, then he was doing his bit to the camera then they were having a little dance and they had a little joke. And I just thought it was just, it was pure Brucey, to be honest. Yeah, it was, it was. Yes. He was doing a turn. He was doing his kind of like bit, his routine. And it was just beautiful. And like the puppetry I thought was amazing. And it was just really, really clever and just really, it just seemed really kind of like professional and really kind of well thought out. And you know, we've seen some guest stars when they do their main bit and there isn't as much as a commitment there or a bit like with Florence Henderson, you know, we just had the like superimposed butterflies. It was just, <laughs> you know, you know what I mean though? It was just really nice to see him interact with like Gorky Bird and do his bit and he was just like loving it. You know, it's, it was really funny. I would love to know how much input the guest gets into a sketch or a song that they're going to feature in. Because as you both said, it felt so Bruce Mm. in the sense that obviously he's tap dancing, he's singing, but specifically the turns to the camera. The turns to camera were so, yeah, they were so Bruce. Yeah, so him, so sort sort of presenter, sort of showman that I wonder, do they present that sketch idea to him and he gives his own little twist on it or do they already know his work so Mm. they write for the performer i'd love to know what that process is i mean it sounds terrible i have the of muppets and men book. exactly what i was just gonna say lewis i mean it's funny you mention it because you know you could probably find out tomorrow you could probably just read about it you know Look, it's not my fault that I came across an apparently very rare Muppet book in a pile of books outside somebody's house in London, okay? And yes, I have not got round to it, but I have a lot of sad gay literature to read, Jade. Like, there's a lot of sad gay books. You can put a pep in your step and break that up with a little bit of of Muppets and Men, Lewis. (laughs) That's what my JFK biography is for at the moment, Jade. Very happy ending to that story. Well, Jade, it's one of two volumes, and this volume only goes up to 1956. And right now, he's just got married to Jackie. So, you know... So what, you're going to leave it there? Look, live me... (laughs) With a cliffhanger ending. I wonder what happened to that nice Kennedy boy. (laughs) It was quite a scandal, actually. That was my best attempt at Little Edie. That was not good. It is interesting. I I mean... To me, this has got Bruce's fingerprints all over it. As you said, whether or not it was sort of instigated by him or instigated by the writers knowing his style would be interesting to find out for sure. But it's so Bruce. And we haven't seen anyone else interact Mm. in this way, especially with the turns to camera. No one else has really done that. I would say Harvey Korman maybe tried 
but he did not succeed in the same way that Bruce has. His was more furtive. This was like, it almost felt like you could have dropped that into a Bruce Forsyth variety special. Yeah. And it wouldn't have been like, oh, Bruce isn't really doing much in this number. It's like, Mm. yes, he is here and he is in it. Yeah. He is the lead. I also think his, the way that he was like physically interplaying with Gorky Bird was amazing too. You know, when he was leading her by her beak and Mm. getting her to do the different steps and when she put her beak into his nose and everything, like, I don't know, there was something, because again, most of what we've seen so far on The Muppet Show either involves like the Muppets kind of nuzzling up to whoever the guest is or maybe like a big one like Sweetums doing some sort of physical comedy. It's just lots of hugging and being handsy. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas this was actual act. It was acting. Yeah. With with the Muppet. It was his. Oh, go on, Emma. Yeah, no, I was just going to say and I was just wondering whether he decided to treat the Muppets as audience members or like yeah if he was doing it with like a, a human because if you think of where he's come up from and the fact that he's been hosting things like you know sunday night at the palladium and stuff like that whether he decided to make a choice of like properly interacting with them because like you say it's either been they've been nuzzling up or cuddling or you know swaying yeah. along mm. with them whereas i feel like bruce actively like you said, his bits with Gorky Birds and like the dancing. And I quite like the bit where he was trying to get her to yeah. reverse and like yeah. left hand yeah. down. And, you know, it was just really clever. Emma, you're right. Bruce is very good at manhandling guests. He used to do that on game shows. Like he would get them into the right position. Like he would do the same on Strictly. It's, it is another skill to his bow. <laughs> it was the effort that he would be using with Gorky Bird that really sold it. It wasn't like he was overselling. Oh, Oh, I'm pulling this bird. Or like, it was all perfectly measured. Maybe it's his training as a dancer. Or actually, it might be because just Gorky Bird is a very substantial puppet that you really can put that kind of effort in. But it never felt fake or false. No, it didn't at all. It didn't feel fake at all. It it felt like he was getting that enormous bird to move through a mixture of his physicality but also through his gentle coaxing it just was 100% believable 100% right completely entertaining an absolute delight when he started tap dancing and Gorky Bird then joined in and then the button on the end of it when the other one turned up and then he started yelling Mr Hitchcock I was like that's amazing (laughs) like we I don't feel like we've had that many kind of pop culture references in the show so far we've had hints at them here or there but this was a very pop culture heavy show starting with him yelling Mr Hitchcock was just like oh Bruce you're a star I love you I feel like we could talk about this one sketch all day, but we should move on. Although <laughs> you're mentioning that now makes me wonder, I wonder if Tippy Hedron would ever be able to do a sketch with <laughs> Muppet Birds or is that too no. much trauma attached? That was specifically written into every contract she had, regardless of whether it involved the Muppets or not, was no birds, Muppet or otherwise. <laughs> no birds. <laughs> poor Tippy. Oh, poor Tippy. <laughs> we get a little bit more backstage business, but I feel like we've already covered that so the next up is strictly come ballroom i wrote fine okay whatever pretty much (laughs) the only thing i liked about it was seeing the little all of me muppet at the end again i was like oh 
There's oh, there's yes. the nice little all of me monster. That that was basically it. The duckled and the frankled. I was like, uh, okay. When it was just one, I was like, no. But then they repeated the joke. And I was like, okay, we're leading. I in. couldn't believe they repeated a joke like Jesus Christ. You like you've only got to do four or five puns in this damn sketch anyway. Like, and you're repeating jokes at this point. Come on. Uh, I mean, if there was a weak spot to this episode, I would say the part two of the backstage runner followed by this ballroom sketch and then mm. the UK spot, I did worry that we had sort of... Why do I want to use this? Blown our load too early. I just again, thought you were going to the... say that we'd peaked too early. Yeah, you'd... Why did that not come to mind <laughs> instead? Because you're reading too much of that sad gay literature, Lewis. That's why. <laughs> it's not all just... <laughs> sad gay sex the gay sex is the good part and then all the other sad stuff is their relationship with their families <laughs> or God. whatever war-torn country they find themselves in or whatever terrible decade they find themselves in <laughs> the load blowing is the only brief respite from the otherwise sadness that is their life <laughs> this is what happens when we record in the evening <laughs> i don't know what it is. see i was trying to be sensible this evening i'm not wearing sweatpants i'm wearing normal clothes <laughs> like i got too comfy last time <laughs> it wasn't that you were comfy Emma. it's that you were like overloaded on slightly too much sugar to make sure you had the energy to get to the end of the episode and instead you were just like off your tits like, just completely... and then spectacularly crashed towards the end of the episode <laughs> yeah. i did <laughs> <laughs> Well, speaking of crash landing, look, another, another Perfect, fantastic Perfect. segue. Thank you. The UK spot of the Hick Muppets, I'm My Own Grandpa. Emma, did you recognise this song? I didn't. No, did you? It then? was another song from Grandad's tape. Oh, was, was it? <laughs> yes. The same tape that had When I'm Cleaning Windows and The Laughing Policeman and Lydia the Tattooed Lady had... I'm my own grandpa. See, that probably means it obviously wasn't as much of a shock to you as it was to me. Because as soon as he started bellowing, I'm my own grandpa, I literally sat there and thought, this explains a lot. This explains <laughs> a lot about the Hick Muppets. And, oh, it was... I mean, I guess, like, if you want to talk about technically, the puppeteering was fine. They were energetic, but... My God, I did not need this in this episode. And the song was just deeply disturbing. It was. I literally wrote down, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, it, inbreeding jokes for, I was going to say hicks. I'm trying to think of a nicer word, but hicks. I mean, bumpkins is the only other word I've been using bumpkins, to describe Bumpkins, that's them. a bit better. It's very, like, that kind of joke, it's here in 1976 you see it in The Simpsons in the 90s with Cletus and Brandine. It does feel quite a tired joke. But the song is a pre-existing song. And we know Jim Henson seems to like these fun little ditties. <laughs> I wonder if this number made it to the uh, Jim Henson funeral. Funnily enough, Lewis, I don't think it did make <laughs> it. But uh... <laughs> Look, you never know. Like that was that was a long ass memorial. Maybe it was okay. at the after party. <laughs> As we say, look, not every Sondheim song is a banger. Not every hit at the Jim Henson Memorial is going to be. <laughs> oh my god! Oh no! <laughs> We're not being disrespectful. Of not. We're not being disrespectful <laughs> to Jim Henson. We're being disrespectful to the the program choice. <laughs> 
I wouldn't want Lydia the tattooed lady at my funeral. I want like a sad version of Vogue or something. <laughs> Can you give us a little rendition of that, Lewis? The sad version of Vogue, please. Come on, Vogue. <laughs> Let your body move to the music. Hey, hey. Yeah. And this is accompanied by a string quartet. No right? organ. That's what I mean. <laughs> just... An organ. Oh God. <laughs> a harp player. Yeah. Look, at this rate, I'm going to be dead before Madonna is, so she can do it live. I don't know if you saw those pictures last night on her Instagram. She's fully age is now no longer a concept. She looks like she's auditioning for Little Mix. It's insane. <laughs> is she? Uh, she's. Benji Buttonsing, as, yeah, a, yeah. as she's, they say. She's that, but the share version. It's like <laughs> age and time are no longer a concept to her. <laughs> Immaculate. <sighs> We're going off topic. Kill surprise. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you two, but that is all I want to say about the jug band. Yeah. So we can... We can move swiftly on. I think that's a good idea. And then we slide into a kind of slightly bizarre talk spot but fun between Bruce and Kermit and it was definitely like innuendo filled I feel like it was was it innuendo or was it meant to be absurdist well I I don't know I kind of wrote innuendo but I suppose it could be as well because it was just super random because he obviously had the whole gag at the beginning where he was like well you can't buy the chicken or whatever because her husband's in the band and then they did this whole kind of weird exchange with buying ducks and yeah, rat the haggling. And, a, and yeah. then the pig turned up and then it was just like, what's happening? But then obviously you did have the payoff at the end where you had the fight between Piggy and Bruce, which got a little bit brutal when he went for like her little <gasps> snout at the I end. Know, I know, I know. Like sticking fingers in her nostrils is so visceral. Like, <laughs> And her scream yeah. as well that she let out yeah. was quite intense. <laughs> It was like torture. Uh, like it was literally like it was like oh what what's the most vulnerable part of Miss Piggy's body? Her nostrils. Oh. You know it was it was vicious. And he like slammed her down onto the base of yes. the chat spot corner. <laughs> it was a real bizarre chat sketch. I I liked the payoff at the end despite the bizarreness of the fight. I was a bit lost in the middle. Then the nude pig showed up, and again we've discussed nude Muppets last week <laughs> but seeing that off the rack pig with no jacket on and his body being such a different colour to his limbs and face was very odd. It was weird. The discoloration was odd on the pig I mm. will say that. But did you guys notice after Kermit handed Bruce the woodpecker when he then had to hand it down to get it out of shot so his hands were free he sort of I think passed it to a puppeteer that was down there and he went mind my leg yeah and you saw this little bump up into the camera of like either the cover that was covering the puppeteer or something and Bruce shot a look to camera and I don't know that sort of slight breaking of the fourth wall without breaking laughing but giving you a knowing look of like oh isn't this all a bit of a lark it was it was letting you in on the secret it's the best kind of fourth wall breaking Sometimes you think like, oh, when a, an actor cracks up, oh, that's really great. But actually that gets quite tiring after a while. But that little glint in your eye of like, oh, we are all just playing here. Oh, sumptuous. And also maybe you could read it as another little bit of innuendo as well. Just in like, oh, yeah. there's a man <laughs> down there, like <laughs> under my leg. Like, that's just a fact right now, you know. 
chance to be a fine thing. <laughs> the other thing that I thought you were going to mention as well, Lewis, was obviously the duck got handed to Bruce and sat on his lap for a second. And that happened in one shot. So it was only a couple of seconds because then it, it cut away. But there was a couple of seconds where the duck was lifeless, sat on Bruce's lap, which was totally fine because it literally was only a couple of seconds. But it obviously was a bit funny because it was just like this unsentient duck <laughs> sat on his lap. <laughs> I didn't clock that at all. I did not notice that. I think I was too swept up in the other barnyard animals. To be fair, there was a lot of other stuff going on, but I just noticed that when the duck came over, obviously the puppeteer did not come over with the duck. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't mind the absurdism of this. I think because the Muppets so often trade in this kind of, you know, what starts as wordplay in terms of Bruce saying like, oh, I'll buy the fact of something and then I'll, I'll buy the chicken as well. And I didn't mind that it was sort of, again, playing on the fact that the Muppet show is filled with all of these different animals. Mm. I suppose there was, like, the twist that Miss Piggy turned up because she turned up so late in the sketch. I feel like that was sort of a bit of a difference compared to, especially, you know, normally in the talk sport, Kermit starts talking to the guest and then pretty quickly Fozzie, Piggy, whoever rocks up, Mm. don't they? With this one, it was like we had a whole sketch play out and then Miss Piggy turned up to, to put the little extra bit of fun on the end of it a lot of the familiar sketches ran longer this week so the chat sketch did obviously fozzy's stand-up did because it was brucey then fozzy but i liked that it 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 made it feel different because watching this as we are as a podcast analyzing the show you start to know the formula you know when the ballroom sketch is going to turn up you know when the second song is going to be scheduled so when suddenly oh this is going a bit further oh they've just come in now oh that's how I don't mind it. And it was done Mm. well. You know, as long as it's done well, go for it. Yeah, completely. Yeah, and also I noticed that depending on the quality of the guest, it kind of depends how many songs and sketches are in an episode. Because with this one, like in comparison to some of them where it's literally like Mm. everything's about two or one minute long and it's like boom, 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 boom. Because obviously a lot of it is like filler or they've got a guest that can't really do anything you know, whereas this one, like you say, a lot of the sketches do run on, which is really, really nice to see. And it obviously shows that they have confidence in him as a guest host and also within his spots itself, because there isn't as much filler in this episode. For sure. Just want to give a little shout out before we move on that when Miss Piggy comes on outraged, she says something about offending the whole of porkdom. And I just thought that was great. (laughs) It's it's another thing. They they keep making reference to Piggy being a pig, yeah. which they just don't do now. No. And I wonder how much longer they'll do it for. I guess we'll see. She no longer represents Porkdom. She's <laughs> she's just a Hollywood star now. Yeah. <laughs> I know we've already covered the backstage, but just the little moments of Fozzie fainting in the two backstage bits we have and having... Gonzo making his only appearance of the episode, but also the duck again, who seems to be just on their own secondary runner through (laughs) this episode. Uh, Saying, cute, cute bit, or cute fall. And poor Hilda just (laughs) never being ready to catch Fozzie. I I very much enjoyed. I think this is the first time that we've heard it, but there was the use of the 
Oh, yeah. sound from the audience when Kermit told yes. Fozzie that he wasn't going on. It's the I think it's the first time we've heard something other than just the laugh track from the audience. Mm. And again, made me really like, did they show this to an audience and then like get their reaction to it? <laughs> no, because it was just so cute and it just felt so right. And, you know, I don't want to uh, talk about the laugh track again, but like it just, I really liked it. I thought it was a really, really nice touch. Tell you what, when you can get an awe from an audience... <laughs> Oh, you've got them in the palm of your goddamn hand. <laughs> there was not to become old actor tell stories about the time he was on stage. But <laughs> when I was on tour, <laughs> I was in the mousetrap, the Agatha Christie play. And there was a, a moment where my character gets accused of being the murderer. I'm not confirming who is or isn't the murderer. And on a couple of occasions, I got like a cacophony of middle-aged to pension-age women all just go... <laughs> Oh, at my character being accused of a murderer and I would look at my other cast members on stage and they'd be like, for fuck's sake. And I'd be like, yes! I've got them! Uh, somebody who doesn't deserve any kind of reaction ever would be Wayne and Wanda, who again, I feel like we shouldn't even bother talking about much because it was just another lame sketch. I would like to just say that I liked Wanda's green sparkly top. But other than that, I'm Fine. happy to move The tree on. should have fallen down faster. It should have crushed his face. It wasn't good enough. <laughs> and I want Sam the Eagle to be freed from this hosting... It's coming, Lewis. It's coming. We're on the, we're on the back stretch of this first season now. You know, we're, on, we're counting down to Sam the Eagle spreading his wings and being nice. free of the fine people, the church-going people. Decent people. That was the one that... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe he's invested in them. Maybe he's their manager. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> or maybe he's invested in all the things that go wrong for them. So he's got a vested interest in like in continuing to go wrong. I don't know. So he's a masochist. <laughs> so he's... I mean, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Well, thankfully, Wayne and Wanda get cleared off the stage pretty quickly, despite the detritus from the tree. And then after the brief other backstage bit where Fozzie finds out that Bruce is going on we then cut to Bruce on stage doing his routine for I mean I guess the audience are meant to be there but he's essentially doing it for Statler and Waldorf isn't he especially at the beginning where it's all just Bruce (laughs) trying to one-up Statler and Waldorf yeah it's uh you'd be slightly uh peeved if you were in the audience and you're like We are also here. We paid Muppet money to be here. <laughs> Presumably more than Statler and Wardoff, seeing as they seem to have some sort of season ticket. Well, look, I don't know how much those boxes go for. I've never inquired. <laughs> um, can we just talk about what Bruce was wearing in this sketch before we fully get into it? Because It was fully horrendous. And I know I've had some questionable taste in, your... in both your eyes. Uh, but, you know, I have great taste in fashion. But... This was a disgusting... <laughs> Shut up, Emma. <laughs> Just because your camera isn't working doesn't mean I can't tell when you're like raising an eyebrow, Emma. <laughs> this was a disgusting ensemble. The blue floral shirt which was open a bit too much and the necklace that just and the jacket that was in a, like six different shades of blue and God bless him, Bruce's hair with this kind of like oh, my life. wiry two-tone, multi-layered feather, kind of crispy. It was, it was, I felt like I could smell the cigarette, the cigarette smoke on him. Yeah. For me, what 
kind of made me really chuckle about the outfit was I was immediately drawn to like the ruffles on the shirts and obviously like the check of the jacket. And then I realised that he was wearing that god-awful necklace. And then on top of that, I realised he had a bracelet on. And I was just like, oh, there's there's so many layers of terrible here. Like, just stop. Please stop. What is it that the Nazi sympathiser Coco Chanel used to say? Before you leave the house, look in the mirror and take off one accessory or item. He should have just taken it all off and started all, of all over again. All of it. And he should have definitely redone his hair. Yeah. That was, ooh, it was quite something. Emma, what did you think of this sketch? It's funny you should say that about his outfit because I just thought it was very 70s, uh, like yeah, very completely. era oh, yeah. specific. Definitely, if you just saw a picture of that, you'd be like, yep, yeah, that is 70s. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I thought it was quite good. I mean, obviously, like you say, we start off with um, Bruce kind of like heckling Statler and Waldorf, which is quite funny. And then obviously sort of Fozzie then comes out and starts and is a bit slow and doesn't really get it and is throwing out these one-liners, but it's not really working. And then obviously Bruce kind of starts to like coach him and egg him on. And then Fozzie goes crazy. (laughs) He goes for the jugular. He like pounces on Statler and Waldorf. He goes absolutely mad, but I love it. And then... We kind of segue into them doing the little number side by side, which I thought was delightful. You did it, Fuzzy! Uh, I did it! Bruce, I did it! Oh, I did it! I did it! Oh, 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 Bruce! Oh, this is the happiest moment of my life! Oh, just, just learning from a pro like you, working side by side with one of the great... You even learned how to cue the big musical finish to the comedy spot. You did? Yeah? Yeah! All right! Oh, we ain't got a barrel of money. Maybe we're ragged and bonded, but we travel along singing a song. Thank you, Mr. Forsyth. It's my pleasure, Mr. Bear. Hey, we travel along singing a song. Side by side. I don't know what you guys thought about that bit. I know that song, but I know it from the Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle movie, <laughs> which I know is obviously not its original incarnation. Jade, do you know what the origin of this song is? Because I lit, I knew the words. Yeah, so it's from the twenties, and like tons and tons of people have, have okay. covered it. Everyone from Pat Boone, Brenda Lee, Paul Anker, Ray Charles. Uh, Dean Martin, Patsy Cline. Apparently Bruce Willis did it for the soundtrack of one of his films. Christ. The Osmond Brothers have done it. I mean, you know, just... I think it is, it's just considered a real standard yeah. at this point. But it was lovely. The yeah. the whole build of the sketch and, yeah, Fozzie going mad with power was lovely. And, and, uh, and Bruce having to, like, coax him background to be like, don't, maybe don't insult your audience and also me, who is here helping you. <laughs> it was great. And and just to see Fozzie win, it did make the runner, the backstage runner that I wasn't too keen on worth the payoff. I don't want it again, but no. just this once, I will I will have it. I think there was also some really nice interplay with Statler and Waldorf as well, because of the fact that Bruce had the upper hand and then Fozzie was getting the upper mm. hand. It was nice to see them sort of cowering and being kind of taken aback and not having that kind of 
cocksuredness of mm. haha we're heckling and winning here yeah. um bruce got some real zingers in there the one about oh you must have a great sense of humor because i saw your wife <laughs> i was like oh that's which, like that's a low blow bruce which weirdly i now in my head feel is non-canonical i'm fully committed to the concept <laughs> that stat and wardorf are gay lovers <laughs> like the internet has truly just convinced me on this matter that i was like well, if if he does have a wife, it's a beard and it's a loveless marriage. So maybe it's a marriage of convenience. Maybe there's two elderly lesbian Muppets out somewhere. What are they watching? I just, like if Statler and Waldorf are at the theatre, uh, Mrs. Statler and Mrs. Waldorf are probably off watching a baseball game. <laughs> it was really fun. And to finish with the song as well, I mean... So does that mean, oh, I guess the talk spot didn't, but Bruce had three songs in this episode. Like, that's, yeah, that's amazing. That's like, considering they packed all the rest of it in too, there was still lots of humour and there were, you know, sketches like this in there as well. Like, that's, that's kind of incredible, isn't it? Really? Yeah. Emma, I assume you must have been overjoyed when we got the pipe organ, uh, theme that introduces your favorite sketch every week veterinarians hospital yay they're back (laughs) i was so excited i love this bit so much it's literally my favorite reoccurring sketch (laughs) yeah no i just oh it's so good i love the fact that we begin with like piggy in the corner like having a drink realizing she's on throwing it off and then she like was she having a drink or was she huffing gas that's what i wasn't oh, sure maybe either. it was huffing gas <laughs> because it looked like a, it did look a bit like a wine glass i actually skipped back i don't watch the episode twice because i've got a life but I, I did skip back that 15 seconds just to see and i couldn't be sure whether she was drinking or huffing some sort of you know gas of some kind but i did love it and her quick chucking it down it was very acorn antiques yeah it was amazing and then obviously the duck returned again (laughs) and that played the basis of all the like the gags between dr bob and janice and miss piggy but oh it was good it was it was really funny and i know the whole kind of like duck joke could get a bit tiresome but i think they played it just about right to be honest they did it was patter but it's patter done right and i don't mind it when it's done well and i think when it's on stage and not part of the backstage because this to me was so much fun loved it and anything where you've got three muppets ducking down coming back up again like anything that's got a bit of physicality and energy it heightens the patter anyway and so it all feels a bit ludicrous and silly so then it's fine if you have patter where you'll just have two people standing backstage having a conversation then it falls flat for me i think it works really nicely and i also think i don't think they looked around when the man's voice came on at the end but every time after they ducked down they then when they came back up looked around as if to say Who's telling us to duck? And I just love the idea that Dr. Bob and his nurses are constantly hearing voices. I just think that's hysterical. (laughs) (laughs) They're just like, oh my God, there's always another presence in this operating theatre. Like, we just can't (laughs) escape it. It's actually the veterinarian's hospital in Twin Peaks. It's it's (laughs) in this small town. It's just (laughs) everybody's slowly losing their mind. And then I did, it wasn't that it made me laugh out loud when the duck said quack. When Dr. Bob said, what type of doctor am I? But I was like, 
Oh, that's clever. It is. I do think it's clever writing that they, you hear quack at the start of the episode. You don't think anything of it. You just think, oh, the duck's just saying quack. Great punchline. But actually to have it then some semblance of payoff to that at the end. Like you said, Lewis, the duck is the what the sea runner of this episode and this must be the first time we've had a Mm. sea runner of an episode it's like you know in 30 rock the a plot is liz and jack the b plot is tracy and jenna and now we've got a kenneth we've got the c plot running through and it's a a duck (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it was a super fun sketch and i'm annoyed at myself for not seeing what the final joke was going to be that the duck would call the doctor a quack like Boom. Classic. Like, Harvard Lampoon. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) (laughs) oh my God, there are so many sirens tonight. I don't know what is going on. Like, (laughs) Duck, Lewis, duck. (laughs) 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 I feel like my door's going to get raided. (laughs) God. (laughs) Someone's going down. (laughs) Anyway, then we get to the final song of the episode. And... Good God, what cannot Bruce Forsyth do? I don't think I even knew he could play piano. I know. I just... uh, He just kind of, like, amazes me. he came on he just had something new to show Mm. like he'd obviously already done his song and dance he'd done his talk spot and now he's back again and he's singing another song with piggy but he's playing the piano as well and he's playing it to camera and there's interaction and then you've got the like pig chorus that comes on i love it when piggy was like come on boys and then they were like that felt so like may west didn't it it was just like yeah (laughs) see i wrote down it feels very marilyn monroe but then i was like actually with this pink backdrop and these pigs all in these suits i was suddenly like i now desperately want a miss piggy material girl (laughs) yeah (laughs) they've done that Have they? I'm sure they've done that. Hold on. I've seen, there's definitely a picture of Miss Piggy surrounded by penguins in the suits, but I think that is meant to be a direct, a direct homage to Marilyn. But I don't think she's done Material Girl, which I guess is a hard definition because that's Madonna evoking Marilyn anyway. It's called Madonna Material Pig, like a piglet and something else on, that's on the poster of it. Holy 
crap. Well, I know what I'm doing immediately after we finish recording this podcast. <laughs> material. Yeah, pig. she had to. She she had to have done material pig, as we've now found out it's called. Uh, it was nice that uh, Bruce and Piggy had seemingly made up since their fight during the chat segment that they would come back together to duet on Let There Be Love. And it was a lovely duet. Having Piggy just like propped up as is her want by a piano. And it's such a lovely song. It's giving me again Tony Bennett, Lady Gaga vibes where you've got a beautiful blonde and an old man just singing a standard. It was really, really lovely. And it was so well done with Bruce chipping in and, and having his little throwaway comments and things. And again, his turns to camera and everything. And also like last week we had Piggy at the piano for the UK spot. But this week, we've actually now fully got her duetting with a guest. So that just feels right, doesn't it? It does. This feels piggy. And obviously, in the ballroom sketch, you did still have Richard Hunt playing her. But other than that, you know, she was Frank Oz throughout the rest of the episode. And we got her doing a turn. And also, I think this is the first time we've seen this properly. She had a pair of glittery high heels on and Lots also of glittery tights. And I, I was like, this is full on, full on they're, Miss Piggy in, in full form. They're recognising her as an asset. They've they've mm. clicked into, oh, this is a really good character. And it gives us a lot to play with, both, you know, seriously and comedically. And I think after that episode where we really got Piggy fully formed which guest was that with it was it was the lena horn wasn't it because she wanted to be she wanted to sing and kermit said that basically lena horn was too good to... that was it it's lena <laughs> yeah. horn and and now they're like cool we've got this great character to play with so obviously in the little gap between doing that episode and now with january 1977 they've obviously had time to ruminate on these characters a bit more and i think you know coming back and if they're trying to think of fresh sketches or ideas having this diva pig gives you a lot of potential for material and it's it's great to see i loved it and that just sort of topped off what genuinely was a really really lovely episode and again not to not to show my hand too early but definitely mm. one of my favorites of the season so far and i also really enjoyed with the goodbyes that bruce forsyth was taking the mickey out of kermit he was doing like kermit hands and then kermit had a little look to camera as if to say like can you believe this guy like mm. it's like bruce just seemed to be having so much fun and yeah and that even carried on through to the goodbyes which sometimes can feel quite sort of stilted and a bit sort of like oh this is just an extra thing we have to film but he still seemed to be loving it. He was still being Bruce the showman and also just seemed to really connect with the Muppets, I think. He has such a similar energy to them mm. in that he is a showman. He has a variety show background. And as much as he takes his craft seriously, he does not take himself yeah. too seriously. Yeah. You're not puncturing any kind of ego with Bruce Forsyth, where with some other guests, part of the fun is like, oh, they're letting loose this time because it's with the Muppets or, oh, the Muppets have made such and such look silly. Here, Bruce is like, I'm with my people yeah. and they just happen to be a bunch yeah, of puppets. Completely. And actually, in a way, rather than talking about a Muppety twist on things, it feels more like we're talking about the Muppet show with a Bruce Forsyth twist on the Muppet show. That's the power of that chin, baby. <laughs> <laughs> like It pulls people into its orbit. <laughs> 
I mean, it seems crazy, really, for us to have got to the end fairly quickly for us. But when it's an episode that we're all just so consistently agreeing upon, it's it's hard to find discourse. (laughs) So I suppose we better move on to our most valued Muppet performer of the week. Emma, why don't you kick us off? Who was your MVMP for this episode? Wow, it's funny, actually, because as much as I do love Veterinarian's Hospital and I was going to give it to that whole crew... I decided that I was actually going to give it to um, Gorky Bird because I thought it was just such a... Well, sorry, just in terms of the interaction that obviously the puppeteer and Gorky Bird had with Bruce, which was really amazing and magical and like reactive. And also for the fact that just its kind of whole performance and appearance and it just really lifted that song and... I just thought it was really cleverly done and the way it was kind of it moved around the stage and it just added like a really good bit of like colour and like cleverness to it. This was definitely going to be my MVMP this week. How about you Jade? So I was tempted by Gorky Bird as well but on reflection of the episode I felt like I haven't given it to Statler and Waldorf yet and I want to give it to Statler and Waldorf this week because this is the first time we've seen them show humility and and not just be a pair of old queens heckling from the box. Um, So you're rewarding their personal growth like some kind of therapist. (laughs) And I just really enjoyed, I think they played it really well. They played... They played the foil to Bruce and Fozzie really, really well. Mm. And actually, you wouldn't have Fozzie having this character development without Statler and Waldorf to play against. And this is the first time that he's played against them and come up trumps. That's as much to do with anything with how they reacted to it and how they took it. Mm. And I just thought that, you know, they had great patter with Bruce and with Fozzie, as they always do. But then also just seeing this other side to them. They also just seemed to enjoy the episode. They only had kind things to say about Bruce throughout the entire episode as well. And I was like, this is nice. I think Statler and Mordor are actually having a great time this week. So good for them. They probably belong to the same senior club as Bruce Forsyth. They probably know know each other already. Maybe. (laughs) How about you, Lewis? Who's your MVMP? I... I was tempted to go for the Snurfs, but I have to give it to Gorky Bird. It's a beautiful puppet. It had such wonderful characterization. The sketch that it appeared in was so fun and so well done. And I know I say this so often that it sounds weird, but I just want to touch it. I want to touch it and look at it and see it move around in a space and see those big flat feet slapping around and the neck going around. Because I think even in a non black light, black backdrop context, it would be such a joy to see that, was it 11 foot tall? Yeah, that's what I read, 11 foot, just yeah. being operated, even if you could see the people, because your mind would just fill in the gaps and be like, what a lovely big bird that is. <laughs> I just, yeah, I just, it was wonderful. And oh, the magic of puppetry and Jim Henson and oh, just... Lovely, lovely, lovely. Where's Gorky Bird now? Probably folded up in some sort of box. I don't know. I hope not. I hope Gorky Bird has a lovely big nest to call home. (laughs) Oh no! Oh, I can't deal with that image. It's too sweet. (laughs) 
<laughs> Let's move on. Let's get to our rankings for this week. Jade, what are you going to give this episode? I know, it's really difficult. It's really tough because I think I think this is absolutely one of my favourite episodes that we've seen, but there are still moments like the jug band and obviously the ballroom is still... I don't even want to say it's bopping around because, like, frankly, they're not even really dancing that much. It's sort of lingering like a bad smell, as it does. Mm. So I'm going to... If I was Craig Revel Horwood, I would give it a two... <laughs> Instead of Shirley Ballows, who just chucks out eight and nines like they're going out of fashion. <laughs> there you go, a little Strictly Come Dancing for you there. It's not yet September, but we can still get excited. <laughs> so, to get back to my rating. Yes, yeah, sorry, yes. I, um, I think I'm going to go with the same rating that I gave the Connie Stevens episode, which is eight and a half. <gasps> Mr. Hitchcock's! <laughs> um, because I think this was great. I think Bruce was absolutely the ideal host for a Muppet show. He can sing, he can dance, he's got the comedy, he's got the physicality, he takes the craft seriously, but he doesn't take himself seriously. There's all of that going on. But the ballroom was still there, the jug Muppets were still there. There was just a few bits that didn't quite tip it over into sort of a nine or even higher for me. And also I do think the runner, as we said at the beginning, I think I could have done with a little bit less sad sack fozzy. He's established as that character. Even just a snippet of that would have been enough to know Fozzie's an insecure comic. Like, done. So yeah, so so eight and a half, Mr. Hitchcock's. And this actually fills me with great hope, especially as we move into the later seasons when we know that the guests get a bit more high profile and everything. And we know things like the ballroom sketch are going away, that there genuinely are going to be some absolutely outstanding episodes to come. Because... They've clearly already hit a stride, which is great. And it's just it's just sort of small tweaks now, isn't it, to get it to that mm. that ultimate level. Lewis, how about you? So, my mind is running on a very similar track to yours, Jade. I have decided to give it seven and a half snurfs out of ten. So seven full snurfs and then one of those little shorter half snurfs. <laughs> and I think the reason is... Only that the runner, although its payoff is great, I find a bit frustrating. And there was that little moment after we'd had such a strong opening with the Snurfs, Bruce's first song, that we then had the backstage business followed by the ballroom, then the UK spot, that we fell into a lull. And really, even if they had just structured the episode slightly differently, even if they chucked the jug band somewhere else, maybe, and I don't know, it was just those three things in a row that brought me down from this high that then meant that the show had to pull me back up there again, mm -hmm. which it did. But that time could have been used riding that high if it had been better utilised. So I think I have to keep it below a Rita Moreno episode or some of the other ones I've rated just a smidge higher at an eight because I felt that dip in quality. So I have to just sort of take it like that. But I want to reiterate how much... I thought this was a wonderful piece of television and how much I miss Bruce Forsyth because oh, what a what a hero. What a what a gem. Emma, what are you gonna rank the episode this week? I've kind of gone for in the middle of you two. I've nice. gone for a <laughs> eight cute fools out of ten this week. And I feel like you've both covered what I was gonna say really. It was a really strong episode in terms of Bruce his numbers, his sketches, his interaction with all the different Muppets. 
but it did dip for me in the sketches like at the dance and then obviously the UK spot and Wayne and Wanda but overall I sort of feel like it was a really strong episode and there wasn't like I said earlier a lot of filler in it like we've seen on previous episodes so I think yeah this week I'm going to award it eight cute fools out of ten wonderful well jade why don't you hit us with a little muppet philosophy for this week i shall indeed so this week i'm actually going to read a quote from frank oz about jim henson so this is taken from jim henson the biography by brian j jones so there's a part in the book that's talking about jim henson's enthusiasm But Frank Oz sort of goes beyond that. And he says he calls Jim Henson an extraordinary appreciator. So it's a a long quote from Frank here. Many people see Jim as an extraordinary creator. I realise that I see Jim first as an appreciator. He appreciated so much. He loved London. He loved walking on the heath. He appreciated his family and his colleagues and his Muppet family. And he appreciated the performances and design of a puppet. He appreciated the art objects that he might buy. He appreciated the detail in a Persian rug. He appreciated just beauty. I really don't believe that Jim could have been such an extraordinary creator if he hadn't been such an extraordinary appreciator. That's lovely. Oh, that's really nice. And we all appreciate Jim Henson and we really appreciate Bruce Forsyth. Oh, well, thank you so much for listening to Muppet Stational. If you've enjoyed the episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate and review as it really helps spread the word about the podcast. You can follow us on social media. We are at Muppet Stational on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. You can contact us at hiho at muppetspodcast.com and you can find out more about us and the podcast at muppetspodcast.com. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. It was nice to see you, to see you nice. I've been Lewis Chandler. I've been Jade Turner. And I've been Emma Chandler. And remember to keep dancing. (laughs) Yay. See you next week on another episode of Muppet Sational. Bye. Our theme music is Peppy Pepe by Kevin MacLeod and our artwork is designed by Charlotte Rudge who you can follow at at charlie underscore r underscore rudge on Instagram.